Falling in love with the Lord is life-changing. But what happens if you fall out of love? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to the second chapter of Revelation, where an entire church had let its love for God grow cold. Fortunately, there's a biblical remedy to this problem. From the series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, here's David to conclude his message, Losing Your First Love. Well, you know, there is um, a possibility uh, that we can become uh, really great performers as Christians and in the process of becoming great performers, lose the passion that we once had for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what happened in Ephesus. And when the letter arrived there from John, from uh, the heart of God, it must have been a real stinger. For they valued all of their activity. As we learned yesterday, they were quite a dynamic church. And yet, having described all of the good things that they did and were doing, the letter said, but I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. And then, as we're going to learn today, a prescription is given to this sick patient so they can get well. I'm very excited about today's lesson. Don't leave. Be sure to have your Bible in front of you as we continue our discussion of the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, Before I uh, forget it, let me introduce the resource for the month of March. It is this beautiful new book called The Book of Signs. It is a book that I know you will treasure for many years to come because there are 31 chapters in this book that answer 31 questions that people have about prophecy. If you've always wanted a place where you could go and get an answer that you can understand and can explain to someone else, this is the book that will help you have that in your own home, in your own library. I hope you will take advantage of this opportunity during the month of March and request your copy of the Book of Signs for a gift of any size. That's right. When you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of March to help us with the cost of production and radio airtime, we will send to you this beautiful over 400-page book called The Book of Signs. I know that you're going to be blessed by it. I know that you will be encouraged by it. I believe you'll also be instructed by it. At least that's my prayer. When you send your gift today, ask for your copy of the book. Well, we want to get started with our uh, lesson as we uh, talk about what it means to lose your first love. Is it possible to love the Lord fervently at the beginning and then lose that fervency? Well, this letter to the church at Ephesus is a reminder that it can happen. It did then, and it does now. What to do about it is our lesson for today. So let's just go back now and review what we've learned about this church in Ephesus to which this letter was written. This was a dynamic church. I know your works. This was a dedicated church. I know your labor. This was a determined church. You have persevered and have patience. And this was a disciplined church that you cannot bear evil. The church at Ephesus was a church which would not allow evil in its midst. They would not tolerate evil, and they practiced church discipline when it was necessary. They were patient when it came to service and suffering, but they were not patient when it came to sinning. (laughs) They stood for the truth and for righteousness. And they were a discerning church. Notice the next phrase. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. 
Now, what's that all about? During the early church, there were some who went around from the churches that had been established and claimed that they had been sent to the church by one of the 12 apostles. That they were, quote unquote, in apostolic succession, so to speak. That the apostles had laid their hands on them and said, you go and speak on our behalf of the churches, which of course did not happen. But they would use the apostles' name to gain an entrance into the church, and then would, they'd come in with all their crazy doctrine. The Bible says that when they came to the church in Ephesus, the people in Ephesus saw them for what they were, and they would not allow them in the church. You have tested those who say they are apostles, and they are not, and you found them out to be liars, and said, don't bring that stuff in my house. Don't bring that in my house. And Paul had warned them that such a thing would happen. Do you remember when he gave the Ephesian elders their final lecture in the 20th chapter of Acts? Do you remember what he said to them? Listen, he said, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And the Ephesian elders didn't forget that. They remembered it. And when these people came saying, oh, we're from the apostles, when they weren't anywhere near the apostles, they sorted it out and said, no, not here. We have a lot of people come and preach here during the summer. But there's some people I'd never let preach in this pulpit because they're not true to the word of God. They may be great orators. They may be famous. But, you know, the problem that we have in churches is that we don't have any discipline. We don't have any discernment. And it all starts at the front. (laughs) We should care about the doctrine of our church. We should ask God not to let false doctrine get in among us and sow discord in our ranks. Well, this church in Ephesus was like that. They were discerning. And the Bible goes on to talk about how they didn't even allow the Nicolaitans in there, verse 6. I don't need to get into all of that. That's for a different time. But I want you to know that while this church was a dynamic church and it was a dedicated church and it was a determined church and it was a disciplined church and it was a discerning church, it was also a declining church. You say, Pastor, how could that be? I've never heard of a church with all of those things so positive. I mean, if you're going to write up a church, write this one up. It's a great church. But look down at your Bibles and notice what it says in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Now just let that sink in for a moment. Outwardly, the church was a model church. But Jesus saw past all of this stuff we've talked about so far. He saw past it all, and he recognized that this church had heart trouble. They had left their first love. They had fallen from the early heights of devotion to Christ, which they had climbed. Their first flush of ecstasy had passed. The early devotion to Christ had cooled. They had been in love with him, but they had fallen out of love with him. You say, well, how did they do all of these works if they weren't in love with Jesus? They just did these works like you would do works in any organization. Did you know that you can do ministry and not even have a relationship with Jesus? You can figure out what everybody expects you to do, go through the motions, and you can do it. And it gets done a lot of places like that. The Bible says they lost their first love. What is that? What is first love? 
It's the devotion to Christ that so often characterizes the new believer. Fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, openly displayed, honeymoon love for the Lord Jesus. Have you ever been around honeymooners? What is there about us when we're on our honeymoon? When Don and I were on our honeymoon, we went to the Pocono Mountains. The first day after the first night, we got up and went to breakfast. We sat down in a restaurant, and the lady came up. She says, you're on your honeymoon, aren't you? I looked around. Did I have a sign on me or what? No, no, no. You have a look about you. You know, you're just kind of all giddy and excited. And Well, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Maybe, maybe yours was kind of cool. I don't know. The Bible says that these Christians in Ephesus at one time were so in love with Jesus that they couldn't go anywhere, anytime without it showing. They carried their Bible with them and didn't put books on top of it so people wouldn't know what it was. I bet when they prayed at lunch, they might have prayed long, loud prayers instead of wiping their eyebrow like we so often do today. (laughs) When you're in love with Jesus, when you're a firstborn Christian, there's something so exciting One of the reasons why I love our baptismal testimonies and I love the steady flow of new believers that come, they bring a kind of enthusiasm and excitement about the things of God that you would never, ever see if you didn't see new believers. Weymouth translates this little phrase like this, yet I have this against you that you no longer love me like you did at first. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way, But you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you have fallen? G. Campbell Morgan writes in one of his commentaries, First love defies analysis. Love cannot be waved in scales or measured with a ruler. You cannot compress it into a mathematical formula. It's seen in poetry and it's forgotten in speculation. It worships in abandonment. It is the crowning consciousness of life. And the Bible says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. Do you know it's bad when a brother has something against you? It's bad when a friend, a human friend, has something against you. But you don't want to have the Lord have something against you. When the Lord has something against the church, it's time to tremble. And when that thing that he has against you is the loss of love, the church should not only tremble, it should fall on its knees. Mance Havner, one of my favorite people who's now in heaven, used to say, you know, people can be just as straight as a gun barrel theologically and just as empty as a gun barrel spiritually. If we do not love God fervently, we can never serve him faithfully. The same thing happens in marriage, doesn't it? Any couple that has been married any length of time knows perfectly well what this text means. Like the southern lady who complained to her husband, John, what is wrong with you? Before we got married, you used to say that you loved me so much you could eat me up. And John said, well, I guess I lost my appetite. (laughs) That's what happens when you lose your first love. Now, I want you to see this carefully because this is a really important picture for us all to get right. Externally, the Ephesian church was a commendable church in every way. But the gaze of King Jesus went beneath the surface and found an area in which they were lacking. They had left their first love. 
they had turned their relationship with Christ into a religion. Love is the first mark of a true and living church. Indeed, it is not a living church at all unless it is a loving church. Just 30 years earlier, the Apostle Paul had ended his letter to the Ephesians with these words, Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And we don't know how long it took them to fall out of love with Jesus, but it was less than 30 years. Because when he wrote this letter, they were loving the Lord Jesus sincerely. By the time John writes this letter, they had fallen out of love with the Lord. They had experienced a slow drift in the wrong direction. So what about us? What about our church? Have we lost our first love? Do we love Jesus as we once did, and do we love people he has instructed us to love? First love doesn't care what others think about our enthusiasm. First love does not worry that we will be thought to be fanatics. First love just loves. First love cares only about one thing. Now, this is a pretty challenging passage of Scripture, but I am so glad it doesn't end here. Because when you have a diagnosis, there needs to be an answer. And now we're going to see what the demand is. Here we're going to find out what you do if you've fallen out of love with the Lord, or if you feel like your life is cold where it used to be warm, what do you do? And it's real simple. There's a formula here right in the text that I want to show you. Three exhortations. Notice, first of all, you need to remember. It says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. How many of you know that restoration always begins with remembering? Meditating on what your relationship with Christ was like when you were first saved. Go back and take a snapshot of that. Take a mental focus of that. Remembering how you used to witness for him. Remembering how you used to bring people to church with you and you would try to make sure you had someone coming to church with you every week. Remembering what it was like to lead someone to Christ or to see someone come forward in a service that you had invited and they heard the gospel and they got saved. Or remembering as you heard their baptismal testimony that God gave you the opportunity to have some influence in the life of that person and how thrilled you were about it. Remembering what it was like to trust him even when you didn't know where it was going and it was just so simple God said it I believe it and that settles it and that's how you lived your life It's possible to slip away gradually without realizing what is happening a useful counter is to go back in thought to the first days The Greek imperative is present with a meaning like keep on remembering what it was like when you first came to know Jesus Christ Hold it in your mind. They had enjoyed a close walk with God. Let their minds go back and dwell on that for just a moment. We have a chorus we sing here on Sunday mornings, and I love this chorus, one of my favorite ones called We Will Remember. And there's a little line in that chorus that's just so great. I still remember the day he saved me, and I will never be the same. Do you still remember the day he saved you? Do you still remember the sense of relief that you were no longer guilty before a righteous God? The first thing you need to do is remember. And then you need to repent. That's the second word. 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. Now, repentance means changing your mind and turning to go in the opposite direction. If you have left your first love, you must turn and head back toward the Lord Jesus. This is a choice. This is an act of will. John Stott has written, Repentance is resolutely and completely to turn one's back on all known sin. Jesus Christ does not advocate conjuring up emotional experiences. He does not urge the Ephesian Christians to feel bad about their sin. It is not what they feel about them which matters so much as what they do about them. So if you've grown cold to the Lord in your heart, I can tell you it's had an impact on your life and some stuff has slipped into your life that you wish weren't there and you're ashamed that it's there and you hope nobody knows it's there. So what do you do if you want to get back to that first love experience? You repent. Repent means stop doing that. Quit doing it. Get away from it. Whatever that means to you, you know what it means. I don't have to draw you a picture. (laughs) And then the last one is really interesting. The first one is to remember where you used to be when you were in love with the Lord like you should be. And then repent and go back and do the first works. Notice the third thing is to repeat. Go back and do the first works. I love this word, repeat. And it conjures up a picture that I want to paint for you. This means that the way you get back to the way it was, now that you remembered the way it was, and the way you take initial steps to get back there is you go back and you do the first works. What does that mean? Well, what was it like for you when you first became a Christian? Did you read your Bible? Well, yeah. Well, why don't you go back and do that again? Did you come to church all excited? Well, just come and if you're not excited, act excited when you walk in the door. Maybe God will help you to get excited. What the Bible says is in order to restore where you were, you have to go back and do what you did. Love is really a verb. It's an action word. And the way you come back to where you should be is you go back to where you were and you start doing the things you used to do. And all of a sudden you'll discover that that love that kind of slipped away started to come back. And you begin to remember what it was like to really be in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and want to serve him with all of your heart. Most of you could make a list of first things. You know what they were. Just think about it. What are the things that I used to do when I first became a Christian I don't do anymore? Go back and start doing them. Now Christ concludes his admonition to the Ephesian church with a sober warning. Read what it says. He says, if you do not do this, I will remove your candlestick what that means is jesus said if you don't get back to loving me like you should not just going through the work of doing church but loving me what will happen is that your influence your candlestick will be snuffed out and your outreach as a church will be gone the history of ephesus is a solemn lesson for churches today St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians concludes with this benediction. Grace be with them that love the Lord Jesus in sincerity, that is, with unfailing love. Thirty years later, John wrote the letter that we have read, but the love was declining by that time. It had begun to ebb and die. They had left their first love. The first days had been strong and fervent, but now those days were gone. And Christian tradition holds that after his release from Patmos and in an extreme old age, 
John used to be carried into the place where the church of Ephesus assembled, and the brethren would hear him say as he was propped up into the pulpit, little children love one another. Did they remember what they had lost? Did they recover that first love? Let history tell the answer. Over that once famous city, the word Ichabod must be written, for the glory departed. Ephesus, whose harbor could accommodate the finest seagoing vessel and whose highways radiated out to all the cities of Asia Minor and beyond, Ephesus is a ruin. There is no church. The great golden lampstand has been removed. What a strong warning to us. Literally, God has given us an incredible opportunity to influence the world for Jesus Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, if we get caught up in our statistics and we begin to think that all the stuff we're doing is what really matters and we quit loving the Lord Jesus Christ with a heart like a new believer, one of these days they will come to find the church and it will not be here. I remember reading a very interesting little statement that I never have been able to forget. Here's the statement this man made who realized he was where we are in this lesson. He said, on my way to the Savior, I ran into serving. I was on my way to the Savior, and I ran into serving. And I got into serving, and I never got to the Savior. You know, one of the things that we who are vocational ministers have to watch out is that this just doesn't become a perfunctory thing we do. You know, somebody says, what do you do? I'm a preacher. Well, you know, if you're a Christian, a man of God, you can't just be a preacher. You've got to love the one you talk about. <laughs> and if you just get in the point where you're just pushing stuff out, writing books, writing sermons, doing all this stuff, and you don't have in your heart a love for the Lord Jesus, it won't last very long. You can't sustain a ministry for a long period of time just on the outward effort of your service. And I trust that I will not forget in my own life and you will not forget in yours that the Lord God of heaven loves you with an everlasting love and the best thing you can give back to him is to return that love to him. You love him because he first loved you. You love him by keeping his commandments, by spending time with him, getting to know him, expressing your worship for him. That needs to be the first focus of all of our lives. And I guarantee you that when you do that, when you have that kind of love relationship with the Lord, he will enable you as the overflow of your life to accomplish more than you could ever do if you're just trying to do it in your own strength and in your own energy. Amen. 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 I'll never forget that. For I was running toward Jesus, and I ran into serving, and I never got to Jesus. It's so interesting, isn't it, that we can do good things, as the church in Ephesus did, and those things can even make a difference in the lives of others, but if we're not careful, they rob us of the personal relationship we ourselves have with the Lord. Well, this has been a very interesting and, and a historic lesson, and yet it's one that is very practical as well. I hope God uses it to touch your life. Maybe you're right there. Maybe you once were of so in love with the Lord, and, and the coals of that fire have cooled off. 
maybe what we've learned from the book of Revelation will help rekindle that relationship between you and the Lord. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to talk about the next church in the list of seven. This is the church that was in Smyrna, and it was the Suffering Church. And it is a wonderful uh, analysis, again, of what happens in many churches that are going through times of suffering and how God deals with the suffering church. You don't want to miss uh, tomorrow's edition of Turning Point as we uh, turn the corner to church number two in the seven churches of Revelation. Have in my hand uh, the study guide for this series. You can get this by going to davidjeremiah.org. And the resource for the month is the beautiful book, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. And you can get this book during the month of March for a gift of any size to Turning Point. We encourage you to help us this month with your gift and ask for this 463-page book, and it will be shipped to you as soon as we get your request. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the seven churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we're living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the word, and be in prayer. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Roy Gustafson, longtime associate evangelist with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, led more than 200 tours to the Holy Land. So he was familiar with the idea of traveling. He once said, Your birthdays tell how long you've been on the road, but they don't tell how far you've traveled. 
And the same is true of spiritual birthdays. It's a healthy exercise to count your spiritual birthdays and ask, how spiritually mature have I become in those years? There's only one standard for spiritual maturity, the life, values, works, and teachings of Jesus Christ. He is the standard by which our spiritual maturity is measured. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to grow spiritually on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.